Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. So this is our last episode before the summer holidays, and I'm really pleased to cover this topic. I did feel that I should have covered it months ago, but this lady was recommended to me and it's taken us a while to set it up. So thank you to my good friend, Sarah Reed, who also works for Kantar, who did some of the research and also my other friend, Gillian Forrest, just in case you are listening. Um, this is how I come to be talking to Leslie Salem all about the menopause revolution. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and I'm delighted to have this guest with me this week who's actually come to me through a couple of friends of mine and contacts but on a hugely important topic that I've been meaning to cover for literally months. So I'm delighted to have Leslie Salem with me today. She is founder of Over the Bloody Moon who you may have heard of and the role is here is that they partner with companies to make sure that they're menopause friendly. Leslie is a certified health coach. She specializes in menopause. She's got a menopause podcast, The Changemakers, so you can follow up on this. But the most important thing, you may well see her in the press, et cetera, is that she's really well connected in all things menopause, which is for a large proportion of our audience listening in terms of us supporting people that we work with um, and really educating businesses in terms of how we can manage this uh, well, this situation for 50% of the workforce, at least, um, more and more effectively. You work with huge numbers of organisations in my private and public sector, don't you, Leslie? And I thought this is just a great topic for us to go into the summer holidays with to um, learn more about. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm really delighted to be on the show. Thank you so much. So, Leslie, can you just give me a little bit of background? Because I'm curious as to how you got into this sort of specialism. Yeah, so actually, uh, my my 25 plus career uh, was in a completely different world of branding and innovation. And um, I, I moved into this as a result of my own very difficult, challenging, uh, ignorant entry into perimenopause, um, which coincided with starting a new job. Um, a small organization with a, a primarily a male board. And to be honest, I, I didn't really know what was going on with me. So it wasn't even like I could have that conversation, like I'm having hormone imbalance. What can we do about it? I had no idea. I just thought it was going mad. So unfortunately, I was the uh, the statistic, the 10% that leave the workforce um, because, you know, because of menopause. Um, but I, I see it's a gift and it's taken me into a whole different world so as a result though of that 
that, um, you know, I was 46 when I um, discovered the term perimenopause. Um, I, I was really incensed that um, uh, somebody uh, that was really into health, actually, and obviously my background's research, I just thought it was unbelievable that I hadn't heard of this. And um, that inspired me to set up Over the Bloody Moon and particularly focus on the workplace. Our whole like raison d'etre is to keep women in the workplace for longer, to help them thrive through the transition. And we know that with uh, education, talking about it, normalizing it and support work uh, and out of work um, and early intervention and efficient management. All of those things we know contribute to people absolutely embracing menopause. So it shouldn't be something that's feared. So, uh, yeah, so Over the Bloody Moon is, is on a mission to remove the muddle from menopause. Remove the for medals. I love it. I think Over the Bloody Moon is an inspired name. It's absolutely brilliant uh, in terms of this. And it's, it's just weird, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm similar age in terms of all my friends talking about it. But it's almost like it was a non, this is something which is a some sort of dark secret. It's almost our parents appear to have to, to deal with menopause without talking about it. It's just something that didn't figure. And then um, it's coming up much more to the fore now, obviously, rightly. Yeah, I think I think there's a few reasons behind that. If you look at sort of like societal trends, which is also my background, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of like the sociological patterns. And I think um, we're at a very unique stage of life and there have been various factors that are now creating this menopause revolution, um, as Carolyn Harris, co-chair of the Menopause Task Force, calls it. Um, the, firstly, if we think to our mother's generation, many of them weren't working yeah. um, and many of them didn't have uh, children at home. Um, so the biological timing of menopause, um, it's meant to be a time of reflection and connection and space and, and, uh, and re-evaluating what the second spring is. Um, you know, it was all perfectly aligned now you know, um, for those people that have children, they might have started a family much later. They might have young children um, uh, when they're going through uh, perimenopause, the, the stage before menopause. We also know that stress is a trigger for the onset of early menopause and hey ho pandemic and all of, you know, and life is quite stressful. So actually the trajectory trend of people starting to notice fluctuations and get symptoms is a lot earlier. Um, and we have the sandwich sort of, you know, with the sandwich generation, the linchpin generation of having to deal with elderly parents who are living longer, but not necessarily, you know, in full health. So there's a lot more strain on women combined with the majority of women that will be going through menopause in midlife. So obviously it happens at lot, you know, can happen at any age. Um, but for the midlifers, they are Gen X mm -hmm. and Gen X are a powerful, you know, generation who've always been um, breaking, breaking boundaries, breaking rules and moving life and work uh, to suit you know their needs they were the first generation to really in the workplace um, uh, demand flexible working so you know I think there's a combination of that plus you know media politicians lay people everybody kind of coming together in that sort of the voice becomes louder and more visible 
Yeah, I, I can see that. That does actually make make sense in terms of that and identify with much of, of what you're saying there. And I suppose talking about yourself in terms of your story and just the, the brand of to what Over the Bloody Moon does, um, before perhaps we go into a bit about, you know, I know you've done some research recently, you're working with government, there's loads there that I'd really like to explore with you. So so how did you, 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 you stepped out of the workplace because you were the 10% but have turned it into something hugely positive. Um, so what is it that you, you do in terms yeah. of this? So, uh, so now, three years on, uh, we are a collective of menopause specialists, so clinicians, nutritionists, neuroscientists, all sorts of specialists, um, alongside HR coaches and policy experts and consultants um, and creative content uh, sorry content creators I brought everybody together that is you know passionate around menopause and um, we have a variety of different services for uh, for companies both public and private sector so we support on policy and strategy creation and guidance we um, uh, have a whole array of different events um, and activities and communication to support on awareness and education um, including things like expos. Um, we have uh, our um, training. So we have CPD accredited training, menopause mentors, which is an e-learning course, but it's also live. And then we have a whole load of different support resources, digital resources, printed resources to help people managers, colleagues, and those people that are directly impacted by menopause. And we have co special coaches as well, who are a mix of exec, uh, NLP and also menopause, um, you know, specialism. So those are some of the services. I'm also going to show. I know I don't know whether the listeners. It, it, it's a uh, it's an auditory experience, but I'm holding up for Lucinda a vest screenshot while we're talking. <laughs> Meno vest, and and you can find out more on the website www.overthebloodymoon.com forward slash Meno vest. Um, so this was something that I uh, created. I commissioned an organization, a company, a, a textile studio called Thread Design to come up with something that men could wear to experience a hot flush to raise awareness, empathy, cultivate conversation, build allyship in the workplace around menopause. Um, and there's been a bit of discussion around that as to, you know, do men need to experience pain to empathize? And, and actually, I, I think, you know, that shouldn't be seen as a criticism. I think when you have a body uh, that doesn't change, it's very hard to understand and, and, and see the change that might be of somebody, you know, close to you. Um, and so this is a, a really good way um, in just, you know, anywhere from three minutes to an hour of wearing the vest for people to experience um, what it might be like. And very quickly, I mean, I, I, um, I, I shared this and it was tried on at the weekend by Sean Fletcher, who's a presenter on Sunday Morning Live. And, and within three minutes, he was saying, I've got, you know, I've got palpitations. I feel tight chested. I'm about to go onto the set and present and I'm feeling hot and flustered. And when he was on set wearing it, he got his words muddled up. So, you know, it's quite profound, even in just a few minutes. And then we think yeah. about like this goes on for years for people. 
that's about so I didn't realize when you told me about the vest off I, I don't know whether I thought it was something for women to wear to, to help with the hot flushes so it's for men to understand it's a training flushes. tool yeah it's a wow, training tool. okay I, I love it it's maybe bring out a childbirth equivalent maybe not but so uh, it's all sorts <laughs> of things to, to help us understand the sexes and I dare say maybe there's things that you know it's not just a one way that that we don't understand in terms of of men uh challenges that they go through but that, that is that's that's fabulous and do you want to tell me a little bit more you were saying did you say you were showing you were showing us in government you there's some stuff we were going to talk about the policies and things here in terms of oh well I was uh, just saying that meno the meno vest was launched um in Westminster um so it, uh, um uh, at the end what was that sorry I can't remember the date June yeah, the 28th yeah, so I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that again. So um, Menovest was launched on the 28th of June in Westminster. So um, MPs got to try it on first. Um, and, and the reason for that is that they've obviously got huge influence in terms of the, the government. Um, last September, um, uh, the government set up the menopause task force of which uh, Caroline Harris is one of the, uh, is a co-chair there, and she sponsored the event. And so there's a lot of activity as a result of the menopause workplace that's going on at the moment, looking at education in schools, looking at NHS and and, and having a massive rehaul in terms of uh, better training, better prescription, better early intervention, but also in the workplace. Um, and, And one of the things that they've looked at um, and was back in July, uh, people, organisations such as myself were invited to uh, submit a paper to say whether we felt that current legislation in the workplace was going far enough. So, for example, um, it's best practice to have a menopause policy, but it's not mandatory. Only 25% of companies have uh, a menopause policy. So, uh, you know, one of the 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 aspects um that the organizations like me felt was that for companies of a certain size there should be a menopause policy and and the other um, thing that came out of that report was that uh, there should be an introduction of menopause as a 10th protective characteristic in the equality act um, which is in 2010 so currently when it, if it gets to and hopefully you know uh, good hr will stop it getting to this extreme but we are seeing a rise a 44% rise in tribunal cases um uh, uh, with people taking their companies to court around uh, discrimination because of menopause um, year on year. Uh, well, sorry, this year versus last year. Um, and uh, the way that people will um, uh, often go to court is through the Equality Act. And there's three protective uh, characteristics, which is sex, gender and disability. You can only choose one of them. So there was a whole submission that went in a few months ago to the government via the task force to say uh, people should be able to choose more than one aspect of discrimination and also menopause should be introduced into the Equality Act. Um, sadly, uh, a response came back just under a fortnight ago um, or the beginning of June, just to say there, there weren't plans to look at the Equality Act or to change it um, at, at this current time. Um, and also they were sticking to the single discrimination. So I think there's, there is 
still growing pressure and advocacy around that. So I, I suspect we will see that, you know, change in the next year or so. Would it not fit into, though, one of those, it, the gender one, for example, would it not automatically? Well, it, it can do, but it's not always, um, it can be more complex than that. Um, and, and, and and quite frankly, um, there's pregnancy uh, in there. Um, right. So why why wouldn't, wouldn't you have menopause. Kind of, you know, menopause? And then you've got transition, you've got gender transition. Well, this is a transition that goes on for, um, you know, sometimes over a decade. Um, and in the context of more women working longer into their careers and the UK having one of the highest female representation in the workplace, 75% of people, uh, women um, are of menopausal age, um, sorry, some of menopausal age, 75% are working. Um, and and the 6.6 million women uh, aged 40 to 54, according to the ONS stats last year. So that that's you know a hefty a hefty amount of um, our workforce that we have to look after. It's interesting actually because I think there's an overlap there as well between um, that uh, population and the people who since lockdown or since uh, just over recent years are looking at changing their role. They want uh, better work-life balance they are the ones you know maybe for all of the reasons that you've talked about before and also maybe menopause plays into it who are the ones that are looking to leave the workplace um as it stands unless they have more flexibility and and you know the, the reality is there's a huge amount of experience and skills sitting in that population that that businesses don't want to lose yeah there, there, there is that I think fundamentally the uh, construct in which women operate in many companies is still very patriarchal um, and I think it gets to a point where women, like in a, for some women that are in their mid 40s where they've simply just had enough yeah. like if they don't it doesn't feel authentic to have a leadership style that is very masculine if you're a certain kind of woman um, and so I think there's actually a wider issue in terms of feminine leadership power and, and fundamentally changing kind of the cultural constructs um, as well as much you know as much as we can support women with menopause I think the, the underlying issue is a, a bit deeper part of a bigger story which of course then plays into diversity and all those things you're never going to fix that um, if you're losing the key people who can be the leaders of uh, and changings of the future but we'll keep this focus because I you know that goes into other bigger bigger topics there's lots and lots of overlap so you threw some very interesting statistics in there I felt there's the in terms of that you're talking about um 75 percent oh hang on you might do you, i know you did some research rather than me trying to quote them back at you, you did some research recently didn't you with cantor um we did yeah, evidence we, yeah so we did it we did a, um, a very comprehensive study with cantor um and we looked at over a thousand women in the the work sorry in the uk who are aged 30 to 65 who were experiencing menopause at some you know they, they were at some stage in their menopause uh, journey um or post-menopausal we wanted to get that inclusion and diversity aspect and we specifically made sure in our sample we had people with pre-existing medical conditions physical and mental and wanted to kind of understand the history as well of what makes someone thrive versus barely survive um, and we found actually that there were some determining factors um, around that so um you know for hr it for people that 
you know, if you have got women of a certain age, you've also had a history in your workplace or outside of the workplace with poor mental health, they are more likely at risk to need greater support and earlier intervention. Um, People that have experienced racism or trauma or abuse um, or acute stress currently or historically, much more likely to have a difficult time. Uh, People from cultures where they have to mask or if they are in a male dominated division or organization where they're masking um, makes menopause much more challenging, exacerbates the symptoms. So there are kind of, you know, various factors um, that will put people at risk. Um, What we found was really quite disappointing given the amount of advocacy and work that has been going on in the past couple of years so in our study 59% of women still feel that they have no or very little support um, around menopause and 65% felt unsupported at work Um, only 21% were mentioning menopause to colleagues 3% to managers, which dropped to 1% for uh, C2DEs. So there was a difference in socioeconomic kind of class as well in terms of masking. Um, Sorry, I'm assuming, do you want to explain that? Just I'm assuming it's more the different... Yeah, so so socioeconomic uh, groupings basically take a household income. So the more affluent people were disclosing symptoms versus those that that, um, were in lower house uh, income households were keeping it more quiet. And that might be because of uh, anxiety around losing job um, uh, or that they have a tougher out uh, culture. So what we found was that talking about menopause, the more that women talk about it, the more advocacy they have and the more networks, different networks that they have, the more likely they were to describe their menopause as not at all or very light, um, which was amazing. So, And we also know that of the people that did talk to their manager, 62% found it really helpful so there's definitely kind of you know this talk out um, is is a really key first sort of point around normalizing and getting it out in the open and if anybody in the audience is thinking well that's okay you know for organizations that are more female heavy but for mine it's just you know mainly men that's really difficult um you know they've got partners they're going to they may have their mum they may you know it may explain their behavior of their mum um or they may have a friend you know so I think there's you know and of course they've got you know there will be some colleagues so you know normalizing it um is is really key and the other thing is that uh 30 30 to 50% of men will experience low testosterone um which causes very you know many similar shared symptoms to menopause so engaging men that way as well um, can be really helpful that hormone health affects all of us does that happen at the same age range for men yeah so um so in midlife um from uh from 45 to, to plus is is when um andropause is more it starts to happen yeah whereas with uh women in menopause it can happen um you know, any any time from puberty. Okay. So premature menopause is under the age of 40 and early is under the age of between 40 and 45. Um, so one in 100 people will have 
early menopause so uh, if somebody's also had surgery a hysterectomy or um, cancer treatment um, they will be a medically induced menopause or surgical menopause and so we shouldn't make assumptions that it's just a midlife thing it can happen at any age so yeah lots of really really interesting figures there and actually I'm going to say uh, in terms of links we'll put links in the show notes I'm sure there's links so we can go and find this this information that you've just shared there in terms yes of- on the website um there if you go on to uh, menopause research you can download the infographic with all the stats fantastic so let's let's get practical here then so uh in terms of we've got you know people professionals audience out here I mean I heard you mention menopause policies but I mean a policies you know policies are a statement that it's not necessarily you don't necessarily need to have a policy to be really supportive of people with menopause and vice versa you know you might be unsupportive and have a policy so what practical steps have you seen that have been really effective in organizations that are really doing a great job supporting women in this um, time what what have yeah. you seen well it's a dual approach of top-down senior or ELT support versus grassroots ERGs um, and when you have that combination it's really powerful um, uh, it doesn't there's no right or wrong just having a group in there of influence um, is really key uh, so um, so employee resource groups, networks are fantastic. And, um, you know, we I was chatting to Karian uh, Lackey from Co-op, who was the lead there on their menopause network. And, and she literally was like a woman of one who has managed to get and galvanize a whole movement now within Co-op. So you know it's always you know what you do is you find kind of buddies and um it it, what it does is it helps um people that are impacted uh, not just women it can also be men um in you know impacted in their own way uh, to come along and share experiences in a safe and protected environment and and then that becomes normal like you realize it's not just me I'm it's not just worse for me there's always someone else that's got it worse um, and it gives people the confidence to then go out in the organization um, and start to build uh, allies um, what's also really important is that you, we start to hear um, more stories um, and more vulnerability from our senior female leaders that are going through it um, it can be really difficult because we know the glass ceiling doesn't sort of mean that they have many, many women around them at that level. But, um, you know, one of our clients is Procter & Gamble. Um, and there's been various examples of, of senior leaders there who have gone, you know, sort of shared to their CEO about uh, their own experience. And as a result of that, Procter & Gamble made a film uh, I was invited actually to be on a panel of that with um, a variety of, of different speakers in, in their organization sharing their stories. And that went out as a, a podcast and a video to the whole global, uh, sorry, the whole of the UK and Ireland. So sharing stories, sharing Vox Pops, getting men as well to share what it's like living with somebody or maybe how they supported a colleague sends out a signal it's okay for you to talk so that's kind of like awareness but then we have kind of like the whole systemic piece 
Um, and as you say, you know, policy is just a, a piece of paper. But what is important is that an organisation starts off with um, knowing what their KPIs are, what their baseline uh, is, uh, you know, what they want to measure. Um, do they know the story? Have they looked into the data to identify how many people are actually leaving because of menopause? How many absenteeism or present, you know, what's the issue of presenteeism because of menopause? They need to identify what the pain points are. They need to uh, do a survey or an employee, you know, um, satisfaction to see how many people it affects indirectly or directly, what people's needs are. And once you've got your baseline um, and you ask people what you want, you know, what, 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 what do we need? What's our first step? Um, then the roadmap can be built um, and evaluated and you can start to kind of measure real impact, you know, with the intervention. So, so that is really key, making sure that you look at, you know, what have you got that's familiar already around um, flexible working um, capturing uh, reasons why people have ex exited. Have you got a menopause, you know, as a drop down that people can choose, etc. So, so that's kind of like the systemic piece. And then, of course, we have the cultural piece, which is really, really uh, pivotal. Um, and, um, you know, that is uh, around training. So one of the most effective um, services that, that we provide is our, our CPD accredited menopause mentors training program. It could be done either e-training at individuals own pace. It's, it's like mental health first aid program for menopause. Um, or we can do live sessions for different people like people managers, ELTs, etc. But what the training does, and it's not just us that does training, you know, but you know, training is really powerful. Um, and uh, what it does is it, it creates empathy and systems and processes and protocol. So there is kind of consistency across the business in terms of how to respond appropriately and empathetically. Um, and within that sits really important um, action actions like individualized reasonable adjustments. So that means sitting down with an individual and thinking about their working conditions, their working hours, their job role at the moment and the type of tasks that they have to do, uh, conducting an environmental audit. I prefer to use that word rather than risk assessment because that stigmatizes a person that's going, you know, through menopause. So, um, so that needs to be done on an individual basis. And, and so just going back to that point about policy, in the policy, we all tend to kind of say, you know, have a desktop fan, access to cold water, etc. You know, those are just like basics, but not, you know, actually a lot of people that have hot flushes will also have chills. So they don't want to be plonked under an air convent. That's the last mm -hmm. thing that they need so it's about recognizing and talking to the individual about you know what is important so I think it's a combination of you know all of those things and then just you know finally is that cultivating that conversation which just is like a constant thread that just is not ongoing shouldn't die out so I don't like to put that at the front a lot of companies just kind of First, the first point is like let's do an awareness workshop but it has to be a continual conversation um and it, and also you know we help companies but our job is to enable and empower companies give them the tools so they then go and own that and then you know sort of can take take it on as as um, things evolve you know over time 
would you say I mean what a lot of those things that you're you mentioned there they fit really closely I think with it's basically being inclusive of everybody uh, wherever they are in their lives you know whether you've got someone who's transgender or anything that's that's a a transition or you know a situation at home where you someone has got other pressures it's it's being really genuinely tuned into the emotional requirements and situation of our people and valuing them isn't it yeah it's it's an interesting one because you know when I when I approach companies they you know everyone's like who's the right person to kind of talk about menopause and often it is the IND lead um but it's not just IND um it's well-being it fits you know within it's very very close to mental health Um, and 67 of people feel that the most significant impact on menopause is um uh to do with negative feelings and mood 59 feel um uh, impacted in terms of a loss of confidence so uh so it's not just a physical thing um so it's also you know like what are we doing in the workplace around mental health that can also be aligned with the well-being strategy mm. um, and then also learning and development with training and leadership um as well you know how which i suppose does fit into kind of the inclusion you know piece but recognizing um the 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 uh the importance of of helping people you know continue to feel confident enough to progress yeah it's being a, and it is a, it's a bit about being generally you, you talked about it being a, whether it's a well-being strategy or an inclusion strategy. it's about being genuinely inclusive genuinely being bothered about people's well-being i guess wherever it sits in your organization and if you're an hr department of one then i guess maybe it sits with you but maybe it's a bigger leadership conversation overall but it's um it's, it's, it, what you don't want is for it to be an initiative, do you? It's something that's uh, that, you, as you said earlier, about making sure that it's something that's an ongoing uh, awareness and conversation, as opposed to just a sort yeah. of quick fix and a tick in the box. Yeah. Although, I mean, there, there are. There's. I mean, just in terms of kind of on the radar, because this is, you know, we're now the uh, coming into the the end of the summer. But um, you know, September the twenty sixth is an inclusion and diversity week. Um, and then also October is Menopause Awareness Month. So these, if you, you haven't done anything, uh, you know, wait for people to come back from the summer. And it's a great time to launch um, and then sort of be, you know, continuing the activities. So having an action plan and a roadmap that sort of, you know, a one to five year plan is, is a really good idea as well. And gives you a nice bit of noise as well around something that, that gives that gives that that pinnacle of awareness of which you can build on. So actually, those are those are really useful dates because this is going out just before the summer holidays. And perhaps if you're listening to this, then there's some key tips here about awareness. There's the data that you will, will point you to Leslie's website and the the data and the infographic that we've referred to, and you know some ideas here whether you want to look at training, whether you want to look at mentors consider evaluating doing a survey of your people see how how well supported they feel there's lots of ideas that you've just gone through there which are really practical ones um that if any of our listeners want to you know really look into this as something to focus on in time for menopause awareness month in october then that's a great thing so you've already mentioned your website uh leslie in terms of if people want to reach out to you directly what's the best way for them to get hold of you yeah, so if you send an email to hello at overthebloodymoon.com, then it'll be picked up that way. Um, and if people go to the website, they'll see that there is 
a corporate page and also Menovest, which we're hiring out for the expos and different events. Fabulous. I look forward to seeing some pictures, maybe taggers and uh, people wearing that and, and getting that awareness out there. Thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us today on the HR Uprising podcast. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. So I really hope that that gave you some inspiration and potentially you can set up your own Menopause Awareness Month in October. It's given you some inspiration and there's loads, if you go to the website, hruprising.com, there's loads and loads of links and useful information that you can get from Leslie's um, organisation, overthebloodymoon.com. That is our final episode until the autumn I'd love to hear from you if there's topics you want me to cover. Give me some inspiration. You can message me on LinkedIn. You can go on our LinkedIn group. Um, It's great for me to have some ideas as to what topics I should be investigating and researching and doing more of next year. And of course, it would be really appreciated if you haven't had the chance and if you enjoy what we do, if you could rate or review. Uh, It really helps other people to find us. And then finally, If you are looking for management development, we will be doing management development courses in September. So go to actus.co.uk. We're doing that. We'll also be doing more of our influence and impact training and potentially doing the change superhero. It depends on numbers. So we're running waiting lists and interest for any of those. You can go to Actus and register interest there if you think you might want to do anything like that in um, October, September, October, and would like to join in with us. And in the meantime, I just wish you have a lovely summer a relaxing summer as well as get the jobs done in between the uh, kids being off school or whatever it might be that affects you so thank you as ever for tuning into the hr uprising podcast i really appreciate you listening i really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable if you did perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising? to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast.